0: This morning we are looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, it's on page 1202, if you're using a pew Bible, 1 Peter chapter 4. For those of you who are with us for the first time this morning or are new or haven't been here in a while, we've been studying through 1 Peter this fall and winter. It's a great book on helping us think through how to be faithful followers of Christ in a world that does not follow Christ, what that looks like. Let's, um, let's take a moment to pray, and maybe we could, in light of the kids singing, maybe we could say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Would you say the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, Lord, we do just need your grace. We need your goodness in our lives to resist temptation, to, to live a life for you and for your kingdom, Lord. And So we just pray for your grace to come upon us today. I, I want to lift up uh, South Shore Christian Academy this week, as they had a tragic loss of a 13-year-old student there, Lord. We pray for the Plath family. I pray that you be near them. God, I pray for all of the South Shore Baptist people who are involved at South Shore Christian Academy. We lift up our brother Mark Jennings, head of school, and for teachers like Ann and Steve and Dave, Lord, and others in our church who are involved, and Even for those who aren't part of our church, Lord, just strengthen that school. Keep your hand of grace upon all of those students and teachers and parents. And Lord, we we do not understand your ways at times, but we trust you. We know that you love us. Give us faith to persevere. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The more that a particular culture moves away from God and becomes hostile to God, the more it will cost you to obey God and follow God in that particular culture. It's kind of obvious, but I think that's the case. Uh, The the more that a particular culture believes things that are antithetical to the gospel and, and even opposed to the gospel or the more that a culture treats as normal sin and immorality, the more that it normalizes what's wrong, the harder it's going to be to stand up for Jesus and follow Christ in that particular culture. There's going to be pushback and difficulty. And of course, that's something we're wrestling with as Christians here living in America, as we see our American culture in many ways, adopting beliefs and Um, views of right and wrong that are are opposed to the gospel, that are contrary to the Judeo-Christian heritage from which we've come. It's just going to cost us more to stand for Christ. But the good news is, Jesus is worth the cost. Whatever that cost is we have to pay, Christ is worth it. And that's what Peter is trying to remind the Christians of here in First Peter chapter four, because the the Christians to whom Peter wrote lived in a very hostile culture, in Greco-Roman culture, with very um, immoral lifestyle that was very normalized and different belief systems. And so these Christians had had formerly been pagans; they'd formerly been um, just regular Gentile idolaters. In, in every sense of the word, and now they've come to faith in Christ, and now they're paying a price for it. And so Peter is trying to encourage them to keep on going, because it's worth the cost. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Let me read this passage. Peter said, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... "'Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, "'because he who has suffered in his body "'is done with sin. "'As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life "'for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. "'For you have spent enough time in the past "'doing what pagans choose to do, "'living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, "'carousing, and detestable idolatry.'" They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and to heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So here's Peter trying to to bolster our resolve to say that standing for Christ and living for Christ, even when it's contrary to the prevailing norms of a a particular culture, even when it costs you much, is worth it. And he's trying to encourage them to take a different perspective on that. And so so he starts out in verse 1, holding up Jesus as our model. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude. You know, how do you live for Christ in a culture that doesn't follow Christ and doesn't acknowledge Christ? And, and the answer, well, there's a lot of answers to that, and that's kind of what First Peter is all about, right? We've been wrestling with that question throughout First Peter. But the simple answer is: well, you live like Jesus. You know, Jesus is our model of how to walk with the Lord and be faithful to the Lord, even when it costs us much. You know, how, do, how do you do that? Well, look at Jesus. Jesus suffered in his body. So arm yourselves with the same attitude. And that's one of the things Peter's been trying to do throughout this letter is hold up Jesus as our example. For instance, go back to chapter 2. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 21. Do you remember this passage? Where Peter was writing to slaves who are experiencing unjust suffering. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he says to these slaves, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He's, Christ's suffering is our example. Verse 22, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That should be our mindset in the face of hostility and persecution to the extent that we experience it as a result of living for Jesus. Um, Or or look at chapter 3, verse 18. We just studied this last Sunday. Again, Jesus is the model. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. We're disciples of Jesus, but, you know, think about that. Our model, the person we're following, is a person who is willing to suffer and die for the will of God. Do we want to go down that path? That's where Christ leads. That's what it means to follow Christ. So when we come to chapter 4, verse 1, Peter says, therefore, you know, in light of what Christ has shown us for how we're to live for him, arm yourselves with the same attitude. I love that in verse 1. Arm yourself. This is warfare language. You've got to weaponize you need, to, you need to get some, some weapons on you and some armor. You've you got to get battle dress on if you're going to live for Christ in a hostile culture or in any circumstance. You know, we are in a spiritual war. If you don't realize that, it means you've already lost. We, we are in a spiritual battle every day as Christians, and we need to Arm ourselves for this battle. But the armaments that we take aren't actual physical weapons. In other words, we, we don't actually carry a gun in order to stand for Christ. We, we don't actually carry a knife for Jesus. We, we don't carry explosives, right? This is spiritual armament and spiritual weapons. Things like the Word of God, things like prayer, one of our great weapons in the spiritual battle. And Things like our mental attitude. Look at, again, verse 1. He says, arm yourselves with the same attitude. In other words, we've got to get into a mindset that says, I'm willing to stand for Christ even if it costs me, even if it's not comfortable. I'm ready to do that. We, we need to get some, some grit. We, we need to steel ourselves to be ready to stand for Christ and to follow him and obey him no matter what. I think that's an important word for, frankly, for the church in America. And I put myself in that category. I think the church in America is very, very soft. We love to be entertained. We love prosperity. We love convenience, but it may not be comfortable and convenient and fun to stand for Christ at times. I think we have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters in other cultures and other countries who pay a high price, who who gather at uncomfortable hours to pray, because they know that if they don't pray, that the spiritual battle is lost, where prayer is a survival tactic not just a program that we offer. And so we need to arm ourselves with this, this kind of mindset. How about you? What, what's your attitude as a Christian? As you, as you fundamentally think about your, your Christian life, you know, what, what's your attitude? Maybe you haven't even thought about it. Maybe it's just kind of unconscious, and, and we, we don't even analyze it. We just do what we do. But, but as a Christian, do you kind of think and act more like a, a, a consumer or a customer? Who's expecting good customer service from God and, and if we're not getting good customer service from God, it's like, hey, what's going on? You know, like I, I went to Duncan's and the coffee was medium warm and you know, like I, I'm do you know who I am? You know, I'm kind of a big deal here and I, I need what I need, God. And you're not you're not doing things the way I think you should do them because we view ourselves as customers. And the customer is always right. Or do we view ourselves as combatants who who wake up every day putting the armor on and saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do today, I'm here to follow orders and do your will. I'm, I'm here to have the attitude of Christ who obeyed the Father no matter what. You know, the attitude of Christ in the garden where he said, Father, if you can take this cup from me, take it away, but not... You know the words, not my will, but yours be done. And so so he obeyed the Father. And I need to take on that mindset and that attitude on a daily basis. How do we think about the church? Do we think about the church? Is it kind of like a, I don't know, like a carnival cruise line ship? Lots of amenities, you know, oh, I go there to feel good, and oh, the food is great, and I fill up on the, you know, the teaching, and oh, it's wonderful, and everyone's happy, and whenever I go to the cruise ship, I just feel so positive you know, positive and uplifted. And I hope people feel positive and uplifted. Um, or, or do we view church as we gather together, not so much like a cruise ship, but more like an aircraft carrier, where, where we're coming in for a landing every week, just to kind of get patched up and get more training and refuel, not so that we can just feel good, but so that we can go out on the next sortie, so that we can fly out to be like, all right, Lord, whew, I'm, I'm recharged, I'm rebuilt up, got some time, get, you know, got some food, patched up the plane, time to head out with my squadron for whatever it is the Lord has me to do this week as I live on mission for him. What's, what's our mindset and when difficulty does come into our lives, especially difficulty for the sake of the gospel, you know, do, are, are, we, are we bothered that God would do that to us? Or, or do we have that soldier's mentality that says, this is part of the job. This is part of what I'm called to do. Is it possible that, that we've become so addicted to comfort that we've become so habitualized to entertainment, that we've become so addicted to convenience and efficiency, that that we've become so much to expect instantaneous pleasure that when Jesus says to us, pick up your cross, we look at that rugged thing and we think, I might get a splinter and it could lead to an infection. Where, what's our attitude to following Christ? What if persecution came? Would our churches be thinned out? And this is what happens when we take on this mentality, this willingness to stand for Jesus, whether it costs us much or it costs us uh, a little. When it costs us, when it's, there's pain, when there's inconvenience, to what the Lord is calling us to do. And when we take on that attitude, here's what it does, here's how it transforms us. This is the result that it has in our lives. And that's really what a lot of 1 Peter's about, is giving us a different perspective. Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering, and he's trying to give them different categories in which to look at their life experience. And so this is is what he says will happen. Look at verse 1 and 2. He says, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. First one's kind of a funny verse, isn't it? The second half of it: "He who has suffered in his body is done with sin." And, you know, I read that, I was like, "Is that really the? How is that the case?" Because I've suffered in my body, and apparently, I'm not done with sin. <laughs> I know lots of people who've suffered, maybe even suffered for the Lord, but they still struggle with sin. It's like, how is that the case that you're done with sin if if you've suffered in the body, even if you've suffered for the Lord? And I think verse two is helpful. He says, as a result, I think this is what it means. He does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In other words, verse one is not a formula for living in a state of sinless perfection. Rather, what it is is he's talking about kind of two Paths in which we all must choose to live our life. There's two directions to live our life. There's two, um, two compass headings you can take. As you, as you have your app, you know, your ways, your, your Google Maps or whatever, and you're plotting your destination, there's sort of two destinations you can put in to drive toward. And, and one of them is the, the destination, or the compass heading, of my own desires, and the other one is verse two. The will of God. And and I think what Peter is saying is is that once you're willing to suffer for the name of Christ, you're done with that other pathway. Not that we don't get tempted sometimes, not that we don't fall into sin sometimes, but but I'm not on that course anymore. I'm on a new course. My my compass heading is is very different. I'm done with that direction in my life. I'm done with that, as he says in verse 2 that earthly life living for evil human desires i mean th- this is the normal way we live our lives this is our default setting this is your factory setting that we all have from birth is whatever i'm craving whether it's physical things like food or drink or you know sex or uh, adrenaline or you know whatever it is i crave that way or whether i'm craving affirmation or prestige or honor or, or money, or wealth, or entertainment, or laughter. Well, whatever it is that I want. You know, we just have all these cravings inside of us. And, and our normal default setting is, well, you know, follow your cravings. Follow your desires. Follow your heart. And, and Peter is saying, you know, th- that's not the way of a Christian. Instead, that there's a new way that we've learned, a whole different direction, which is what? The will of God. So that that I say, look, whatever I'm supposed to do, Lord, is what you want me to do. And so, Lord, teach me your will. Teach me your ways. I I want to obey what your word says. What's your will, Father? And and I want to do it. And and sometimes doing his will brings blessing and joy. And sometimes it's really hard, especially when his will goes against what my flesh is craving. That's when it's really tough. I've got these two voices (laughs) And if I've got these natural impulses, maybe that I have been feeding for years and years, and so I'm so habituated to it. And now he's saying, no, 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 son, it's time to do my will. And, and so I'm on this different course. I'm willing to suffer. And so sometimes that suffering is just saying no, learning to say no to desires, desires for revenge, desires for, for gossip, desires for whatever, laziness. And instead, I need to follow God's will, so that my, my task every day is to wake up and say, Lord, what is your will today? I'm ready to do whatever it takes, even if it involves some cross-bearing. That's my mentality, and the person who's thinking that way, with that attitude, is done with that old life. Not that we don't get tempted and tested and fall back, but we're done. That's not our heading anymore. How about you? Is, is God calling you to something, you know, what? what's God's will for you? Maybe, maybe you're in a, a battle right now where you know that God is calling you, he's, he's directing you, maybe some task he wants you to do or maybe just an area of obedience in your life that, you know, you've, had, you've spent enough time doing the other things, so it's time to change. And he's calling you and summoning you to do his will, but the desires of the flesh are always there you know, screaming and whining and crying, and and he's calling you to do his will. Where's the Lord calling you to obey him in your life? where's Where's the battle right now? You know, the battle isn't always everywhere. It's often in a particular place. It's joined in a particular part of our lives. Where's the battle for you where it's time to arm yourselves with the willingness to suffer for Christ in whatever that looks like? And as if that's not specific enough, verse 3, he gets even more specific. He says, For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing in detestable idolatry. Verse 3 is a wonderful description of um, what it looked like to have good times in the Greco Roman Empire. Those that was good times. This is what Greco-Roman people did when they partied. You're like, are you sure that's Greco-Roman? That sounds like my frat house in college. (laughs) I guess sounds like my friends. You know, this is what people. You know, maybe you're like, this is what I did this weekend. I mean, right? This is. It's like, is that really the first century? This sounds like the 21st century. But it's such a great description of what what the kind of immorality and excess that was completely normalized in Greco-Roman culture. These things were normal and fine. You know, there was living in, look, look at these words, debauchery. Debauchery uh, means, the, the Greek word there just kind of means lack of restraint. So whatever you want to do, just do it. If, if you want to do it, do it, and do it as much as you want. Uh, hit the buffet of personal indulgence and go back as many times as you want. Just bleh, no self-control. And then lust, you know, Greco-Roman society was, was absolutely out of control sexually, probably even, even more than our culture, believe it or not. But I mean, I mean it was everything. Um, everything was available. Everything was okay and normal. Um, I mean, besides maybe adultery, which had some ramifications, but even that was done. So I mean, everything was on the table, you could do what you wanted. Um, drunkenness, of course, is a perennial problem. Substance abuse, we call it today. Orgies. Carousing. You know, what's carousing? You know, this is the image of carousing. One in the morning, a bunch of guys walking down the street, stumbling drunk, screaming, yelling, kicking things, heading to the next bar. That's carousing. Just, Right? And then Detestable idolatry. Now, here's the interesting thing that that we you know is different from our cultural setting is that all of this in Greco-Roman world was tied very much to the worship of idols. So so that often these this feasting and this excess would happen as people worshipped the various gods. Probably the biggest culprit in all this that you know the the most notorious of all in the ancient world was Bacchus, or uh, some his Roman name was Dionysius. He was the, you know, the satyr, the goat god of wine. And, and so when, when there would be a festival to Bacchus, it was like wild, drunken, orgy craziness. It, it was Mardi Gras. It was you know, whatever happens at the Bacchus cult stays at the Bacchus cult. It was just out of control. And is it a surprise that the worship of Bacchus was one of the most popular deities in the Greco-Roman world? hey, do you want to come to church? I don't know. What do you guys do there? Man, we party. We get drunk. Everyone has sex. Wow, what time of service, you know? People would come. And and so Greco-Roman religion provided a a religious reason to just do what our flesh wants us to do. That's what these people were up against. And I dare say, we're, we're... heading that direction rapidly. If not, they're already in some cases in our own culture. And, and so these people, you know, these Christians, that's what they used to do. They used to be that. They used to be pagans. But now they've come out of that for Christ. Look at verse 3. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. This church that, that, that these Christians who are writing to are not squeaky, queen ho- squeaky clean holy rollers. They've got a lot of baggage in their past. They've lived a hard life. Peter's like, you guys have all done that stuff. This, this was not a, a, ch- a church of people who were all like, you know, goody-two-shoes. But they've been saved out of the cesspool. And he's like, and guess what, guys? Enough's enough. You've done way... Enough of that. You've spent enough time. You've spent enough money. You, you've wasted enough time. You've now been saved. We're not living that way anymore. Maybe that's a word for some of us. Enough. You've wasted enough time. Be done with it. Just be done with it. Cry out to the Lord and be done with this Bacchus kind of living. Even if you are a church-going person and you know, you're, you're not a swinger at orgies or whatever, you, but even for you and for me, it's like, are there some things I just need to be done with? Because they're pulling my energy and my life away from just doing the will of God, whatever it is. I mean, I don't think it's wrong to have fun or to, you know enjoy life. I, I don't think this is a, a call to sort of monastic asceticism, but it's a call away from a lifestyle that's driven by, by the fulfillment of our desires without any reference to God's will. So it's a call to that life. Aren't you done with it? Be done. Enough time wasted. Today is a day to begin. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ not only died for all of those kinds of sins you know maybe you're like that's me and your life is just a mess in the past i want you to know that the blood of jesus can forgive all of that and more he can forgive it and he didn't just die then what happened he rose which means that he also has power to strengthen us to resist that stuff. So the gospel is not just forgiveness of the past. It's also power to walk forward in newness of life, to to join the battle. We're no longer slaves. Do we still battle? Yes, but we're not slaves anymore because the power of the risen Christ through his Holy Spirit indwells us. So be done with it. Be ready to suffer. Be ready to stand for Christ. And realize not everyone's going to be really psyched about this change in your life. Verse 4. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. Now, now think, about, think about the Christians from the vantage point of a Greco-Roman person right? We're always thinking about the Christian perspective. Imagine you're a Greco-Roman person. This is, you know, there's your drinking buddies, and your, you know, the buddies who go with you, the different things, and all of a sudden, they don't worship the gods anymore. You're like, what? What what, what do you worship? You know, Jesus. Who's that? No one's ever heard of that. These are the gods that we've been worshiping for, for generations, you know, this is our household god, and then this is the regional deity, and you're in the trade guild. You know, you're a plumber, or an electrician, or a silversmith, or whatever. You know, they didn't have electricity, but you know what I mean. There's this, there were trade guilds, and every trade guild had its own deity that you worshipped, so, so that you couldn't actually be a part of, of kind of the, the commerce of society without bumping into idolatry at every level. I mean, heck, even the emperor was a god. So, So it's hard for us to imagine as... People who live in a very secular society of life at every level invested with, with divine significance, that, that the worship of gods was everywhere. Perhaps it'd be more akin to, like, some other polytheistic culture in uh, like India or something, where there's you know, so many different you know, millions of gods. And, and suddenly here are these Christians not worshiping those gods anymore. All of a sudden they won't worship them, just Jesus. Like, hey, you can worship Jesus, but don't, don't diss all the other gods. The gods will get mad and zap us. You're endangering us, you Christians. In fact, you know one of the, the common uh, terms that the Greco-Roman uh, opponents of Christianity would call Christians? They would call them atheists. Isn't that weird? That in Greco-Roman society, it was so polytheistic that, that they're just like, you guys have become atheists. You don't believe in the gods. They're like, no, 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 no. We believe in God, uh, singular. And they're like, no, no, you're, you're an atheist. It just, it just seems so strange. And so this was like a, a rejection of the whole family, a rejection of the whole society. And so they're like, you guys are ruining our society. You're ruining our family. You're going against all the established norms. I had the, uh, the privilege this year, is all God's grace, but I had the privilege... This last year of, of sharing the gospel um, with a, uh, a college student from India, uh, from, from a Hindu family background. And, um, and others have been sharing with him, and I just got to join in with the sharing. And got, he, I got to share with him in person and, and through preaching. And, um, and, you know, he was just astonished at this message of God's love that God would love us and send his son. And just the idea of being loved was so foreign to his thinking. And, you know, the gods were just to be feared. Like, just don't mess with the gods. And so he, th- through that conversation, by God's grace, he, he became a Christian. And um, he was discipled this year in the college of ministry and really grew in his faith. And then this Christmas, he, uh, he went back home to his family in India. And he's like, good news, I'm a Christian. I'm gonna get baptized. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. And they just, clamped down on him. They essentially put him under family house arrest. And they said, you, don't, you can't go out. You're not leaving. You're not going back to college. It's over. Because, again, you, you're just abandoning our whole family heritage. Uh, and, and so, you know, people have been praying for him. He was just released from his family to go back to college. And, but he still has an uncle there near the college who's going to keep an eye on him. And so, you know, it's That's tough. And and I think it's something like that that these these people were experiencing as the whole society looked at Christians and said, you don't believe this stuff and you don't do this stuff anymore. You you don't worship the way we do. You don't participate in these things. You suddenly think the way we worship Bacchus is immoral and sinful? Like Who made you the judge? Why are you so high and mighty in all this? Well, maybe that does sound like today, doesn't it? (laughs) You know? You know, the problem with us as Christians in American culture isn't that we worship Jesus. People are like, well, you know, whatever. Whatever works for you, that's fine. The problem is that we're also telling people, you need Jesus. and Without Jesus, you're lost. What? You intolerant, closed-minded, you know. It's not just that we're trying to live a holy life. We're, We're like, this is the right way to live. This is what God commands of us. Who are you to judge me, and who are you to impose your, you know, and abuse, and so we're paying a price for it, too, in different ways. And so we need to accept it. We need to, again, arm ourselves with the right attitude. Hey, this goes with the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is about a crucified and risen Savior, and we want to jump straight to the risen part and skip the crucified part. Like, yeah, tell me more about Jesus' victory. Yeah, well, first you got to know about the cross. Eh, I'm not so much into the cross part can i go a la carte here you know the victory all that maybe not so much the cross and the suffering no 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 arm yourselves with this attitude it's all part of following jesus not always sometimes it's fine but other times we just have to be ready for this be ready that our own flesh will fight against it be ready that the whole society will fight against it because it's worth the cost but maybe as I say that it's worth the cost, maybe the question's in your mind, and you're like, well, pastor, uh, you keep saying it's worth the cost, but so far I don't see how it's worth the cost. <laughs> you, know, you, yeah, you keep asserting that, but how is it worth the cost? So I have to fight against natural instincts and impulses, and I have to live in a way that, that my society and culture might look at as intolerant or bigoted or evil or bad or whatever labels that people want to throw around. You know, where's the upside in following Jesus? It seems like a lot of negatives so far. Well, there's so many upsides. You know, how much time you got, right? We can talk about that. But let's just look at the, the one upside that's listed in this passage. Verse 5 and verse 6. But they, that is the ones who are heaping, heaping abuse, verse 5, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Because there's a judgment day coming. Because this world is a blip. And then it's eternity. That's the upside. That that this world is just the womb. And eternity is birthed out of this. And and so this, this is a small time of spiritual gestation. And whatever happens here determines the outcome and the direction in the course of our lives this is the time now to seek the Lord, because someday we may have to stand before Him, and and you don't want to stand before Him without Christ, because He'll make an accounting. In any you know any accountants here, anyone uh, anyone have an accountant? You know, they they tend to be detail people. You ever noticed that about accountants? They they tend to pick up on detail. I'm not a detail person. I'm like, give me the big picture. give me the vision oh that's details that'll work out and the accountants are like "Uh, actually it won't work out because I did the math and you'll notice here when when, when we stand before God someday we're not going to be standing before a visionary we're going to be standing in front of an accountant he's not going to be like no 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 I, I get what you were trying to do I'm feeling you dog yeah yeah I saw where you were going with your life Okay, yeah, don't worry about the details. No, God's going to be like, okay, January 23rd, 6 p.m., play the tape. Okay, February 18th, this time, play the tape. You're going to give an account, an account for your life, and God doesn't drop details. And if you think that you can stand based upon that accounting, then you're just so self-deceived. Oh, there's only one hope on that day, which is to have Jesus, to have him say, okay, that's the ledger, but here's the check written in my blood, debt paid in full. I, I, I don't need a better lifestyle behavior. I need a bailout. And that's what Christ is bringing His gospel. He brings us the ultimate bailout that we can't make for ourselves. This is what's at stake here. And then I I think the upside's in verse 6. So verse 6 is kind of a weird verse, hard to interpret, but I think what it I'll tell you what I think it's saying, verse 6. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the body to the Spirit. And in other words, I think what that's saying is, hey, even the Christians that you know who died, who, who are dead, they heard the gospel too. So even though they're dead, like don't think that their story is over. They've been judged in the body according to men. Maybe it's even a reference or an implication of, of martyrdom or some persecution here. The, the world thought that they were crazy, and now they're dead, and that's how the world judged them. But they're now alive to God according in regard to the spirit that God has, is going to raise them and has already has them in his, his hand. So, so I think it's, it's the other side of the accounting. The bad news is there's an accounting. The good news is there's a savior and there's a gospel, the gospel of the great bailout that Jesus won for us on the cross. And that's why the gospel was preached to them. And so what's the upside? What's, why is it worth it? Why, why do we keep saying that the cost of following Jesus is worth it? Because there's an eternal inheritance at stake. It's what Peter mentioned back in chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what we have now, this new birth. Into an inheritance, there it is, there's the future, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's, what we're, that, that's the upside, is eternal life with God. And no eye has seen or ear has heard or mind has conceived what that is going to be like. And so that's, that's what we live for, is that upside. That's why it's worth it. Because when we stand with Christ on that last day, and we finally are restored and fully raised and with the Lord, we'll look back in our lives at, at whatever, whatever we had to do to resist sin or whatever we had to do to, to take abuse from the culture, and we're going to say, that's all I had to to endure? Wow, and I get this? That was peanuts. (laughs) Whoa, this is my inheritance in the Lord. It'll all be worth it. So we need to take a long-term view. Perhaps for you, it starts today with obedience to the gospel. Have you put your faith in Christ? Are, Are you still banking on your track record Or won't you throw all of your hope in Jesus Christ? Won't you realize there's no way you can stand on the accounting day that you need the Savior who's paid it in full? Obey the gospel. Put your faith in the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you suffered that you did the Father's will. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who always did the Father's will and you suffered for us and died for us and rose for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to arm ourselves with the same mentality. Oh God, help us to be ready to serve you, to do your will. Lord, I just pray, help each of us to wake up every morning and and even as we put our feet on the floor to say, Lord, Lord, I am your servant today, here to do your will. And so, Lord, equip us for that and empower us for that and help us be fearless in it. Help us to be ready to resist desires and to follow you. And God, I just pray if there's anyone here who is in that battle, I pray that you give them strength to persevere and overcome. And we thank you, Lord, that no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what's coming our way, that that you've already won the victory. And and Lord, uh, it is well with our soul, we pray. In Christ's name.